Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. I'm going to change. So as some of you know, one of the things I want to change is this year I'm going to learn Korean. And um, I'm going to do it first off by um, watching a lot of Korean dramas. And I repeat the phrases they say over and over again. Uh, my secret plan is this. I'm not going to tell my mom that I'm doing this and just gradually work it in. She's going to be here next week. Don't tell her that I'm doing this. But see if she notices and goes, oh, Fred, your Korean's getting much better. If she says nothing to me by March, then I will be crushed. And um, We'll have to figure something else out. The other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try and run and get my uh, 10,000 steps or whatever. This is uh, something I say every January. By the time, like, March hits, I'm just pizza and wings. So um, we'll see how that goes. But this spirit of reflection improvement matches exactly where our church is at. We've been going through the book of Acts since September. And Acts is a story about the origin of the church. And when you look at the early church, the natural question that arises is, how does our church compare to the church when it started, what are some things that we're doing well? What are some things that we need to work on? And the most important lesson from all of the messages that we've done through the books of Acts is this. The church needs the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in this chapter does some pretty interesting things. The first time it's ever recorded, as far as I know, first off, he tells Philip, go approach the chariot and see what that guy inside is doing. So he tells Philip to stalk uh, a person, basically. And then at the end, something even more miraculous happens. He baptizes this Ethiopian eunuch and miraculously is transported miles away to a different place. So transportation and a whispering. The Holy Spirit, in between this whispering and this miraculous departure, teaches us about how we should share our faith with other people. Now, when we talk about this idea or what's commonly called evangelism, my natural instinct is to be like, uh, <laughs> to get a little squeamish, to get a little uncomfortable. 
And I think there's a couple reasons for this. Living in New York, you've probably seen a lot of bad examples of this, or at least examples you would not want to follow. We've all seen the guy at the subway station screaming at people, passing by, saying, you are going to hell. And then we just don't want to make eye contact with them. We want to pretend like we don't know anything that they're talking about. And we think to ourselves, ah, this is not the way that we should be doing it. And we're a little embarrassed. I think, additionally, we're kind of conditioned to think of sharing the gospel in a kind of conflict-oriented way. We expect the worst, so that when we tell somebody about what we believe, we expect them to go, oof, you believe that? I can't believe you're such a close-minded person. But even like our fear, I don't think has got to be that big. I think it's probably actually much smaller. We're afraid to tell people about Jesus because we're afraid, what if they ask us a question that we don't know the answer to? And then it's kind of like, well, I think if they knew I was a Christian, they would actually be hindered in their journey to faith and health. So I'd rather just keep it to myself. And then this is kind of more in the spirit of the age, but we live in a modern world. If I want to know something, I don't ask anybody. I go to YouTube, and then I type in the thing that I want, and I look for the answer there. And maybe some of us think, you know, we're in the 21st century. If somebody's interested in Christianity, they can Google it and then figure it out for themselves. They don't need me to say anything. But when we look at this passage, we see that the eunuch asks the key question that shows us that this is something we still need to do. In verse 31, he says, How can I understand unless someone guides me? We have built sharing our faith into such a grand, such a costly thing that we're afraid of it. But this passage shows us very simply what it is at its core. So what I'd like to do is just pray for our church, pray that we get the spirit within us, and then kind of talk about what it means to share our faith. So let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you so much for giving us this time to pause our hearts pretty close to the beginning of the new year, think about how our church is doing, and not just be satisfied with doing the same things that we've done over and over again, but really asking your spirit, spirit, what are some things good news can be doing better? And I pray that you would move our hearts to be able to see the people around us in the way that you see them. You love them, you're calling to them, and they need a guide, somebody to point them to Christ. And I pray that this church throughout this year would be filled with people who can guide people to Christ. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the first thing we find out about sharing the gospel is the spirit goes to where the people are at. In verse 26, an angel commands Philip to go to a desert road south of Jerusalem and wait there. And later on, he whispers to Philip to go up to the eunuch's chariot to see what's going on. Sharing the gospel means going to where people are at. And this goes against a modern trend where we expect things to come to us. Now, about mm, two or three times a week, if we're really busy, like four or five times a week, we'll order delivery. Right? And every time you go to Seamless or DoorDash, the first question they ask you is always pickup or delivery. And 99 times out of 100, it's delivery. <laughs> I never get that pickup unless like, I happen to be out crossing that area or I want to like, get some exercise. So 99 times out of 100, it's delivery. And I just want to sit when I'm at home in my pajamas. I don't want to change. I don't want to go face the cold. I just want to open the door and I expect hot food to show up. And maybe our apartment is like your apartment and it's filled with cardboard boxes of different size and cheap tape because you've been ordering 
and ordering and ordering from Amazon. And every time I walk by our doorman, I feel like they're giving us kind of like a dirty look because they're like, oh, 6C. <laughs> These are the guys that can't stop ordering from Amazon. And every time we ask him, hey, do we have any new packages? He's shocked to be like, oh, no, not today. Every day we get something new and we expect groceries, medicine, clothes, books to show up right at our doorstep. But we know that this orientation in the modern world does not hold true for everything. Over the pandemic, we had to switch, most of us, to online learning. And I must admit, as a teacher, at first, I loved it because I could teach in shorts and any time a kid was being disruptive, I could mute him. And then <laughs> that would be the end of it. And that is the thing like, I miss the most about Zoom. You know, like, oh, I wish I had a mute button in school because some of these kids are disruptive. <laughs> but I have to admit, um, learning online and learning in person is completely different. And now that we have a school-age child, uh, the kid got to go to school. They have to go someplace. <laughs> they cannot be here in the house while we're trying to work. Otherwise, the U.S. economy would shut down. We need to send them away for a long time for as much as we can. So there are some things that do not work that way. We can't just expect the world to show up at our doorstep. We still have to go out to get some of these things. And sharing the gospel is like that. We have to go to them and see where they are at. But sharing the gospel is not just going to them physically, but it's also going to them socially. When Philip approaches the eunuch's chariot, he doesn't just start preaching and saying all the stuff that he'd wanted to say. Instead, he asks him a question, and he goes, do you understand what you're reading? Sharing the gospel starts with being interested in the person who's standing right in front of you. Now, when I was younger in my faith, I used to look at evangelism as some kind of like religious obligation. This is something I have to do once a week or else I'm not a good Christian, so on and so forth. But if you look at sharing your faith in that way, you end up becoming more interested in completing a task than in building a relationship. I'd be more interested in kind of saying the things that I knew I needed to say, and by the end of it, when it comes time to pray for that person, I had forgotten their name because I was not interested in a relationship. I was interested in this task. But sharing the gospel is simply that. It's sharing. It's being open. It's letting people into our lives and seeing what's going on in their lives. And one thing that we'll find as we start doing this more and more is that people are hungry for connection. We live in the modern world. We live in the biggest city in North America. Maybe not North America. I don't know how big Mexico City is. In uh, the U.S. at least. We live in the biggest city in the U.S., constantly surrounded by people. We have so much technology. We can connect with one another in so many different ways, yet people are lonely. And this past week, I read about this um, jumbo supermarket chain in the Netherlands who opened up a line in the grocery store called a Kletzkasse. And this is a line that purposefully moves slowly. <laughs> <laughs> right? And the purpose of it is they want the people in line to start talking to one another and to talk to the cashier. And when I go to the grocery store, I look for the shortest line. And if I always watch like, oh, this person joined the line at the same time as me. And if they end up going faster than me, I get mad. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I picked the wrong line. So I was very curious about this. And their feedback has been this slow line 
has been wonderful. They're going to open up 200 of them <laughs> across the Netherlands because people are so hungry to connect with one another that they're even willing to wait in a grocery line, turn to the person over there and go, ooh, eggplant, what are you making tonight? And just have a normal conversation <laughs> with them. People want to connect. And I think we feel this too because even though we have so many people in our life, like that connection has a tendency to turn us into like, hey, can you do this? Like, that's the thing, right? Hey, can you do this for me? Hey, can you do that for me? We have a daughter that's like that. Hey, can you do my hair? Hey, can you get me some water? Hey, can you fix my socks? Hey, can, hey, can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> hey, can I take a shower? You know, like, there's a constant demand and a demand and a demand. And it's kind of shocking in the midst of going through that system when somebody just flat out asks you, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> What's going on with your life? It's almost jarring. And when you don't give them a real answer and they go, no, no, how are you really doing? I'm kind of like stuck. It's, I'm like, I can't remember the last time someone asked, how am I doing? And really just wanted to know what's going on in my life. The gospel doesn't just meet us physically, but it meets us socially. It opens us up to one another and says, I am interested in you. I want to know more about you. But it does even more than that. The gospel meets us not just where we're at physically. It doesn't just meet us where we're at in terms of a relationship. It meets us where we're at in our core identity. And it's easy to think that the hero of the story is Philip, but it's not. It's the Ethiopian eunuch. He is at the center of the story. So what do we know about him? First, he's from Ethiopia. It's not the modern-day country that's east of Sudan. Ethiopia refers to anywhere that's south of Egypt. And as far as Luke's audience is concerned, it's the ends of the earth. It's the most outsider-outsider that there is. We also know, know that he served as a treasurer to Candace, Candace is not a name, it's a title. It's a title of the queen of this region. And so he had access to all kinds of political power, but he had access as a servant. And so what we see about this man is not only is he from the ends of the earth, but he's not a simplistic two-dimensional caricature. He is a complex figure who is powerful, but at the same time weak. He has access to great amounts of authority, but it's not his own authority. It comes from someone else. We also learned um, that he's a eunuch. Um, so there's um, children in the audience. So I'll just say this as it is with the science, and then uh, we'll move on. A eunuch is somebody whose male reproductive organs have been removed. That's it. Okay. So that is who this person is, and this makes sense at the time. He serves the queen. And the last thing you want a queen to have is an illegitimate heir. So she surrounds herself with eunuchs so that that thing is not possible at all. But culturally eunuchs were looked at with suspicion they were seen as sexually ambiguous they were seen as somebody who because they were close to queens were kind of despised and maybe trying to hatch a plan they were looked at with suspicion so the hero of this story is not the great uh philip who is preaching it's this ethiopian eunuch who is an outsider from the ends of the earth who is complex who is a servant and who is looked at with suspicion and at the very moment that Philip approaches, this eunuch is reading the Bible, and he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, this is not a coincidence, because when you look at Isaiah chapter 53, it is talking about a man who has been physically deformed, he is a humiliated servant, and he was despised by the people around him. And in our verse, in verses 32 and 33, at the exact moment that Philip approaches, the eunuch is thinking about the lines who can describe his generation for his life is taken away? Just like this eunuch, 
The servant that Isaiah is describing in Isaiah 53 will never be able to have kids. His life will be taken away before that. And all of his efforts will be spent for the sake of another person. And right here in the book of Isaiah, this eunuch from the other side of the universe sees a mirror and he sees that his own life is spelled out directly in front of him. This happens sometimes, like the first time I read the Bible and it made sense to me was Psalm 73, where it talks about how come we have to be righteous when it seems like the unrighteous are prospering. There's an old, old movie called uh, The NeverEnding Story. I don't know if you remember this movie, but this movie functions on the idea that the reader suddenly reads his name as he's going through this story, and he's like, oh my gosh, I am in this book. And the whole time he has to wrestle with, should I get involved in this story or not? Same exact thing happens with this eunuch. He's reading through the Bible, and he reads this description in Isaiah 53, and he goes, oh my, oh my God, this is me. And so he asks Philip, is this guy writing about himself, or is he writing about somebody else? And this is where we find the true power of the gospel. The gospel doesn't just meet people where they're at, but it embraces him. The biggest irony of this eunuch is that he is dedicated to something that he's never going to be a part of. We know from this verse that he makes a two-month-long journey from Ethiopia to go to Jerusalem to worship. For two months, he's riding in this chariot, going into the desert, going up to Jerusalem, and then going back. At this time, scrolls were probably made either out of papyrus or animal skins. It's very, very expensive to own a scroll. And he has a personal copy of the book of Isaiah, which means he spent all of his life savings trying to get this book so that he could study. And not only that, he doesn't just have it as like this um, museum piece that he can show people. He reads it, he studies it, he wants to understand it. But at this point in his faith journey, this eunuch probably knew that Deuteronomy 23 says a eunuch can never enter the assembly of God. He loved something that could never love him back like a high school romance, <laughs> right? The other thing that I thought of is like, um, there's a scene in Rocky, where in Rocky Two, where he retires, and um, he goes to Mick, his trainer, and he goes, Mick, can I work in the gym and um, clean the spit and you know clean the floors? He goes, Rocky, you're almost a champion. How can you do that? He goes, I just love it so much. I gotta be near it. And then you think about like a singer who's lost her voice and she can't sing anymore, but she still wants to be around music even though she can never participate it in it again just because she loves it so much and this eunuch is in the exact same way he loves the description he reads of himself in the old testament but he knows that he'll never fully be a part of it and if that's all he knew in life his life would be a tragedy he has this longing he has this love and it will never be fulfilled but thankfully the spirit transports philip to him and says philip go talk to this person and when Philip hears him reading Isaiah 53, he explains to him what it means. And he says, this guy in Isaiah 53 is humiliated, he's deformed, he's despised, and he's killed, not because of himself, but because he takes all of that stuff from us upon himself so that instead of hopelessness, we could have hope. Instead of humiliation, we could have glory. Instead of suffering, we could have power. It's like the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Isaiah 53 is talking about a person who is despised, not because they're unworthy, but because they take our unworthiness upon him. And Philip reveals that this is talking about Jesus. 
And this eunuch all of a sudden realizes that the thing he loved so much in his life is now available to him. And we know that that's true because in the very next verses he goes, hey, here's some water. Why don't we get baptized? And we see that the message of Christ is more powerful, more expansive than anybody had thought. What we have in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40 is the first ever recorded Gentile convert to Christianity. This guy from the other side of the universe sees himself in Isaiah and Philip tells him, this God loves you. I know sharing your faith can seem like a daunting thing, but when you look at this passage, you realize that the eunuch did most of the work. Philip just heard a whisper and followed it. But the eunuch is the one who took the trip. The eunuch is the one who bought Isaiah. The eunuch is the one who studied. The eunuch is the one who said to Philip, hey, why don't we stop here and get baptized? We're conditioned to think that sharing our faith is going to get us into trouble, that it's going to be rough. But the reality is the Spirit is already working in the lives of the people around you. He's already putting things on their heart about their marriage, about their kids, about their workplace, about how they grew up. And there's a longing there, but just like the eunuch says, how can they know what to do with it unless somebody guides them? This morning, God is challenging our church not to be the best preacher or to be the most faithful Christian. He's just challenging us to be a guide for the people in our life, to ask them a question, to say, hey, what's going on with you? And to see where that leads. He's calling us to be guides. Um, I'm a teacher at a high school, and we are in, like, um, recruiting mode. So what that means is we have a bunch of, like, parents and prospective families coming in, and they ask these ninth and 10th graders to be uh, tour guides. <laughs> and it's so funny because they're, like, you know, some of these ninth graders are, like, this tall. They look really small, and they're trying to interact, like, with these 50-year-olds, and it's such an awkward conversation to watch. But when you kind of suss out, like, who's good at it, it's not the smartest kids, Right? It's not the kid who knows the most about the school. It's not the kid who's even been at the school the longest. It's simply the kid who is able to ask the people who are coming questions about their life. Oh, how are you doing? How is your day? How is your commute? And then share honestly about their experience there. That's it. And that's exactly what this passage is saying. Ask the people around you what's going on in your life and share about what God has done in your life and see where that leads. All right, let's pray. Um, I don't know if you're like this, but uh, maybe some of us here are kind of more visually oriented. If I say um, this year, let's try and share with people about who we are and what we believe, I think some of you instantly will have a face that appears in your mind. Oh, this is a person that you are close to, and they have no idea that you have this great hope, this great faith. Um, if that happens, um, why don't we just spend the next two or three minutes praying for that person? God, this is a person that comes to mind. I want to talk with them. Help me not to make it such a grand, big thing, but let me start with a question. How are you doing? How is your year? What's going on with you this year? And just to see where that leads. So why don't we just pray like that uh, for a little bit, and then we'll continue to reflect as we sing some songs together.